Welcome to Madang Podcast. Today I have a very special guest, Reverend L. Sharpton. He is with me to discuss the George Floyd trial, his new book, Rise Up, how he grew up in poverty, his encounters with James Brown, how he understands scripture, and how we can all become activists. Please stay tuned. Good Faith Media provides reflection and resources at the intersection of faith and culture through an inclusive Christian lens. They do so through four channels, news and opinion, video and podcasts, publishing and experiences. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. Funded by the Religion Division of Lilly Endowment, Louisville Institute awards grants and fellowships to those who lead and study North American religious institutions, practices, and movements, advancing scholarship to strengthen church, academy, and wider society. For more information, visit louisville-institute.org. This is Madang, an outdoor living room for guests to share their experiences and their work. I invite you to come in and stay for a while. Welcome to Madang Podcast. We have Reverend Al Sharpton, who's host of MSNBC's Politics Nation, and he's the founder and president of National Art Action Network, one of the leading civil rights organizations in the world. A renowned civil rights leader and the host of nationally syndicated radio show, Keeping It Real. It's a great pleasure to have Reverend Sharpton um, today to discuss his latest book, Rise Up. So I hope everyone gets a copy of Rise Up. Reverend Sharpton, thank you so much for coming on today. Well, thank you and I'm very, very happy to be with you and, and your work is, is certainly a special work. So I'm very honored to be with you. Oh, thank you. The honor is all mine. Before we get into the book, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the George Floyd um, trial and all the events because you have been so heavily involved with it right from the beginning. You did his funeral, you were active in all the proceedings and I know you were there um, during the trial too. So if you wanted to share a little bit about the whole event. Well, when, when I uh, got the call the late last May of 2020 from Ben Crump, and he told me uh, what had happened to George Floyd. And then I saw the tape, the videotape. Uh, immediately, I said that we need to go in to Minneapolis and, and try and organize to make sure that the people that are enraged are organized in a way that it would lead to a prosecution and that the prosecution should lead to law because we cannot just be episodal where we run from one case to the next. We need to be able to use a case for law. I mean, you, you know uh, that I come out of the King School of Thought uh, mm -hmm. mentioned by people like Reverend Jackson and Dr. King used Rosa Parks' arrest to deal with Jim Crow laws. And I wanted us to say, well, if this might be the case that we could lead to dealing with things like qualified immunity of police and, and how they use compression on police. And by the time we got in there about two days later, because it was a pandemic, travel was, was limited. I had to call Robert Smith, the billionaire. He gave us a plane to get in. Uh, there were people 
Some were rioting, many were marching. But the thing I saw differently about this was that you had as many whites as blacks marching. You had you had Latino. So this was, I saw big movements around George, uh, around uh, Eric Garner and around Ferguson, but not as intergenerational and as interracial. So by the time we got to the funeral in Minneapolis, it had taken a life of its own. And uh, then the last funeral in Houston, our thing was how we win the case and at the same time change the law. That's why we uh, supported the governor choosing a special prosecutor, Keith Ellison, who's the state attorney general, who did an excellent job and won the case. But we also marched in Washington the end of August, over 200,000 people in a pandemic to put this George Floyd bill out. And uh, as you and I speak, now the president has come out, Joe Biden, telling the Senate to pass this bill. So uh, we couldn't have done it without the genius of Ben Crump, the lawyer who was the legal strategist, and the family that was steadfast and strong and would go along with our strategy because they wanted their brother's death to me. Thank you for sharing all that. And thank you. You had a big part of all that. So I'm so grateful for your work and how you spoke at the funeral. And you were there along the whole time, the whole year with the family and also um, during the trial. So thank you so much for that work. I know you'll be speaking at different uh, funerals too. You spoke at um, Dante Wright and you'll be speaking at Andrew Brown Jr. next week. Right. So I, I really appreciate all your work. So do you think all this uh, will change eventually our law and how police um, do their job and how they treat particularly Black people here in America? Yes, I think that uh, it can change the law. Uh, this is the first time that we're seeing a serious bipartisan talk in the Senate. The George Floyd bill that deals with everything from uh, qualified immunity to uh, cameras on police that can't turn them off. Uh, to having a directory where a policeman can't have a grievance here and then go to another county, get a job. All of that would be federal law. And I think it's in a chilling effect when policemen that do step outside the law saw this policeman show up and handcuffed and walk to jail. They never saw that. They thought they could get away. One of the things that I think people uh, saw but didn't zero in on is that when Chauvin had his knee on George Floyd's neck and the crowd, that small crowd that gathered and was saying he's dying, leave him alone, and was taking video, he's looking right at the camera. And you yeah. would think if you were doing something wrong, you would readjust knowing people take your picture. He never budged, because in his mind, nothing gonna happen to me. Well, now people feel like, wait a minute, I better not do things because something can't happen to me but we need the law to codify it. I'm so appreciative of everything that you do, just watching you on the news and, and traveling and zigzagging around the world. I'm just so appreciative of everything that you do and what you are going to continue to do. So now as we go into, our, into your exciting book, thank you so much for the autograph copy. Um, I just wanted to say, you know, some of the blurbs I thought was so, so exciting and so new. Uh, Martin Luther King III writes on your book, Reading Rise Up was an informative and motivational pleasure to absorb. Van Joan writes, if you want to learn how to use your voice to change a nation, 
you should study closely this man and this book. And you got a whole slew of other people, but I just wanted to say one more from Michael Eric Dyson, who wrote your foreword. He said, this man is a gift from God to the world. This book is a gift from Al Sharpton to us. Let's appreciate them both. And I think that just sentence sums up everything. I'm just so appreciative of all the things that you do and also what you did for us when um, our book, uh, Keeping Up Alive with Reverend Jackson came out. You held that big book launch in your office. I'm so thankful. So here I found it really, this book is a gift for all of us. And my first question to you about the book is, um, you are one of the busiest men I know here in America. So what led you to write the book? Because it's not like you had all this free time and say, oh, I can just write another book. So what led you to write this particular book? As I was looking at what was going on uh, with uh, the administration at that time, Donald Trump, mm -hmm. and I'd known Trump 40 years, and I fought with him on the Central Park case where he had called for the execution of five young men who had been accused of raping and, and uh, maiming a white female in Central Park, Manhattan. I believe they were innocent. It took years, but we did prove they were innocent. And we wrestled on other issues. I knew how callous and not immoral, but amoral, nothing counted with him. He was a megalomaniac. And I saw how they were changing the economic order, tax uh, 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 base change where the rich was getting these enormous tax breaks, corporations tax breaks. They were changing the voting rules uh, in states where uh, Attorney General Eric Holder and Attorney General Loretta Lynch under uh, President Obama had sued around voting laws. They had pulled back all those lawsuits. So I said, people need a roadmap to rise up because this is not just about an election. This is about a direction. This uh, country is headed now back to the, to the pre-Martin Luther King days where voting rights are gonna be limited, where civil rights are gonna be limited. And they need to understand to rise up, how to rise up and give some stories that would give the instructor. And yes, I do uh, have, I do National Action Network all day, six days a week and TV. But I said, I'm gonna take time, put it aside, to write a book and uh, got a big publishing house. They were interested and we put it together. And uh, I felt it was necessary to document so you could put something in people's hands. In fact, the paper book uh, uh, version is coming up. The paperback version is coming out about two months. Already, that's excellent. I'm so glad to hear that because you know, people, this is like a collector's item, the hard copy, but people want to carry it around so the paperback will be great. Yeah. So I'm so glad you wrote it, uh, even though you've got all this, uh, happening from morning to night. You're on social media all day long because you're video and you're on TV. So I'm so appreciative of the book. It is very detailed. I was very surprised that all the detail that you, some of the stories and some of your own life story, you gave a lot of detail. So it was so, uh, so comprehensive and I, I appreciate it a lot. In part of the book, you actually share about your own uh, upbringing and during your teenage years about your father abandoning. Why was it so important for you to share some of your own personal struggles? Because what we see, and social media does this too, we just think someone's life is just, you know, just all glory and nothing hard. But here you were so, so kind to share some of your struggles. So why was that important? I, I, I wanted to... Uh shared 
because one, what you just said, people see you at your uh, uh, optimum. They don't see how you got there and what you went through to get there. And I wanted to encourage young people to understand that uh, it doesn't matter what circumstance you came out of. If you are focused and uh, know what your goal is and feel that that's your calling, you can rise above any circumstance. My mother used to tell me that life's not about where you start. You're not responsible. Life is where you're headed and where you're going. You're responsible for that. And uh, I think, uh, uh, Grace, that it was one of the reasons why when I was born raised in Brooklyn and uh, when my father abandoned us and, and we had a nice home in Queens, and we had to end up back in the hood in Brooklyn, single mother on welfare. I was uh, compelled 12 years old. I was already a boy preaching the Pentecostal church. I just felt this compulsion to join the movement, civil rights movement in the North. And in the North, it was a lot more uh, national, black national. It was more Malcolm X than Martin Luther King. But because I was in the church, uh, uh, I was more oriented toward the King kind of uh, uh, model. So my mother brought me to the bishop and the bishop uh, said, uh, what's your concern? She said, I don't want him to leave the church. He wants to go to all these meetings. I'm 12 years old. And he brought me to Reverend William Jones, who brought me to Jesse Jackson. Jesse at that time was twice my age. So I grew up under them. And I think the reason I was more attracted to Jesse Jackson than some of the other ministers, because he was like me. He was born out of wedlock. I wasn't born out of wedlock, but I came from a dysfunctional home. So did he. His father wasn't a minister. His grandfather wasn't a minister. Neither were mine. So I had the same kind of pedigree he did. And I felt if he could do what he's doing, and he was like just by a generation ahead of me, I could do something. And I wanted to write that in the book so somebody would see, oh, I thought I couldn't do anything. Look at what Al had to go through and look at where he is. So I wanted to share some of my pain to tell people that don't let your pain get in the way of your game. I'm so glad you included it because for me, your book is a book for all ages. And I hope that young kids, teenagers will grab your book and read it and see. And because it's very inspirational because you have come such a long way from your you know, poverty upbringing to where you are now. So influential, not here only in the U.S., but around the world. Um, I remember when we did the book launch, when you did it for us, we went into your office, you had a big picture of James Brown, and I was intrigued by it, and you wrote extensively about James Brown. So um, did you want to share more? Because oh, there was one thing in it, actually, when you were saying that he offered you a job and you were deciding what to do. For me, that story is so important. I wish all the young kids would read it because it reminded me of um, Robert Frost's um, poem, um, The Road Not Taken. So if you can share it with us something. Yeah, why you know, important. when I was uh, uh, 18 going on 19, I was leading my own youth group in New York. And a young man came up from the South named Teddy, who ended up being James Brown's son. And he wanted to go to law school in New York. He joined my youth group. He became friendly. And about six months later, he was killed in a car accident in New York. The leading disc jockey in New York told his father, James Brown, who was then the biggest soul singer in the world, that if you want to do something in memory of your son, your son liked this young teenage preacher, and uh, you should do a concert and involve him, give his youth group some of the money. And I met James Brown. And uh, James Brown told me, if you do what I tell you, 
you can promote the show. I'll give you all 10% of the money and uh, you'll sell a lot of tickets. I did everything he told me and he got there tonight. He was amazed we sold out two shows. So then he took me somewhere else and we did the same thing and he gave my YouTube money. Over a period of time, I started understanding I was replacing his son. He had other kids, but this was his son who was the same age as me. And he, in many ways, became a replacement for my father. The only memories I had of recreation with my father before he abandoned me is he used to take us to the Apollo to see James Brown. So I think he and I both filled a hole in each other's life. And uh, I would come back home, do my youth movement stuff. Then James Brown would send me to come on the road and just be with him and, and, and you know, uh, look out for his business stuff. I never was his road manager. But then he offered me the job. He said, you can stay here and just run everything. And I thought about it. And I said, no, I got to go home. I don't know how I'm going to make a living doing what I'm doing by youth group. But I know this is not what I'm supposed to do. And I made a choice. And sometimes you've got to go with what you're driven. That is your calling in life. I do not believe that God makes accidents. Everything in the world operates under the precision of God and nature. And you will know inside when it connects. It's like hitting the password on your laptop or your computer and it lights up. And I knew that that's not what I wanted to do. I would have made a lot of money, a lot of glamour with James Brown, but that wasn't me. And I came home and I, uh, the rest was history. I'm so glad you made that tough decision. I'm sure it wasn't an easy one. And I know young people, uh, young adults are going through that same, same thing. That's why I find your book is so important. You, you include so much of your personal story, but then you get into politics and all the wonderful civil rights act that you do and that you have done. And then you uh, chose this one particular passage, put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's from Ephesians 6, 11 to um, 12. So what does it mean for you when we put on the whole armor of God? It means that you know that if you fight for what is right, they're going to fight back. And uh, you've got to put on the armor of God that you can withstand the slings and the wiles of, of the devil. So if you stand up against hate, the haters are gonna come after you. If you're standing up for police victims or victims of anti-Semitism or Asian hate or uh, LGBTQ hate, they're gonna attack you. But if you put on the arm of God, if you know that this battle is not yours, but you're fighting for what God would want you to do, you become insulated in your faith. And that's what it means to me. Every day that I get up, I first, the first thing I do is do my prayers, thank God for another day. And I put on armor, whatever I face that day, it's not personal. This is a battle that started thousands of years before I got here and will continue thousands of years after I'm gone. It's a battle of good and evil. Yeah, thank you for that. And I know, and I wanted to also thank you for the work that you've done to fight um, Asian hate. Um, thank you, because that means a lot to, to me, particularly and to our community. We need people like you to speak up to fight against it, because, you know, what white supremacy does is it pits us against one another. So blacks against Asians and against Hispanics. So I'm so grateful that you brought Asian leaders to your Saturday meeting and that you gave them a platform to tell to tell Americans and, and, and 
worldwide that we need to stop this Asian hate, stop the crimes against us. So I'm so grateful. You actually wrote in your book uh, in detail about the Minister's March for Justice that you put together um, in 2017, which I'm so grateful for that you did. That was fabulous. And then you proceed to talk about how we can be an activist. So to our listeners today, I know you don't have much time left because you're so busy today. Can you share with us how we can be an activist? We should learn to start small. Don't try to have the big marches that we have. Start two or three people in your neighborhood, maybe your relatives, and say, what is the two or three things that most bother us? And how do we engage? It could be dealing with a local official, it could be going to a town hall meeting, it could be going to a hearing of the city council, and work on specific issues that will deal with what you want to see change and develop your own style, your own method in your own terrain. And everybody can be an activist, but don't imitate others, innovate, use models, but be yourself and deal with your circumstances, your environment. Okay, thank you so much. So one last question um, in the book, you said I started NAN as a kind of continuation of Jesse Jackson's Rainbow Push coalition. So tell us, uh, tell our listeners how people can get involved in your organization, how people can donate, how people can just kind of work alongside you because you have paved the way for so many um, young leaders, young activists today. So, and I know your organization is growing and growing and there's a big social media presence. How can we be involved? You can go to www.nationalactionnetwork.net and there are chapters list there. We're in 120 cities. Uh, you can get all the information downloaded. We need people to get involved in chapters, involved in their cities. If there's not one near you, contact us through that website and we'll come and form a chapter for you. But there's no excuse for anyone not to be involved in these times. History is going to record how we came out of this pandemic and what we did with all of this social fervor. Don't let history record that you were not involved. Oh, well, thank you. I didn't realize that you can, you'll help start a chapter. So thank you so much. Are there kind of last minute words of wisdom that you want to share? Well, with us? All I would say is that at the end of life, and I've uh, done uh, uh, eulogies, not only for police victims like George Floyd, I did James Brown's eulogy, Michael Jackson. At the end of life, the only thing that matters is what you stood for. People will remember what you stood for, what you did more than what you own. And people spend too much time worrying about getting the right house or the right car, all of that will be sold as soon as you're gone. What you do for more than you is what you will be remembered for. So yes, get the best home you can and get a nice car and be comfortable, but put some segment of your life aside to stand for something and be part of something bigger than you. And that will give your life meaning. Other than that, your life might be comfortable, but it would be meaning. Oh, well, thank you so much for spending all this time with me. I appreciate uh, what you are doing for Americans and for us all around the world. And thank you so much for writing this book. I hope everyone will get a copy rise up. And you said it'll, it'll be available in paperback soon. Yes. I hope people will get both of them. And it's available in audio and ebook. So thank you so much. Thank Reverend you. Sharpton, God bless. For... Always good to talk to you. Thank you. Good Faith Media provides reflection and resources at the intersection of faith and culture through an inclusive Christian lens. They do so through four channels, news and opinion, 
video and podcasts, publishing, and experiences. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. Funded by the Religion Division of Lilly Endowment, Louisville Institute awards grants and fellowships to those who lead and study North American religious institutions, practices, and movements, advancing scholarship to strengthen church, academy, and wider society. For more information, visit louisville-institute.org.